You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. This is episode 168 of the Healthy Critters Radio on the Horse Radio Network. Healthy Critters Radio is brought to you by Biostar US. Find them online on biostarus.com. On today's show, we learn about barrel racing from Lindsay Lindsay, a Washington State barrel racing competitor. The critter of the show is the Sun Conure. And in Critter Nutrition, we focus on Biostar's new Hedgerow Pronto. Join us. And I'm Patty. And I'm Coach Jen. I'm the third wheel in this little outfit. We get together twice a month, chit-chat about all things healthy and critter. And today, we've got all kinds of cool critters to talk about and all kinds of health things to talk about. Uh, Something that's healthy for me this time of year, as we record this show, is autumn fast approaches. So, today's cue of the day is what is your favorite thing about autumn and what is the thing you dislike the most about autumn? Go, Patty. Oh, uh, well, I kind of like autumn. Um, okay, favorite things. I love being able to have fires in the fireplace, or we have a little fire thing that we put out on our porch. Um, I love the cool weather. Um, I love how frisky my horses are and how ridiculously silly my dogs can be. I guess the only thing, and see, to me, this has always been the time of year that I get ready to go to Florida. Like this is the time of year. I'm like, Ooh, in a couple months, I'm going to go to Florida. So it's always a great time of year. I guess the only thing that I would say that I don't love is that, um, it's dry and my skin gets dry, <laughs> but that's kind of like, First that's little problem, right? yeah, that's reaching. So, um, yeah. How about you? How about you, Jen? Oh, I have many, many things that I love about autumn. It's my favorite time of year. The thing I dislike about autumn is the fact that I live in Florida, so the leaves don't change. <laughs> mm, yeah. That's my that's my dislike. And the other genuine dislike is, as it gets chilly, all of the insects that Florida does such a good job of raising all want to come in your house at the same time. Not huh. my favorite. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah that's, that's a good one. We, we, we're having our share of scorpions. Yeah. Uh, coming in they all want to come indoors oh it's yeah. getting chilly let's move let's get inside where it's warm no yeah how about you yeah. digger i love autumn um it's the time for me that i can have hot chocolate and not feel guilty <laughs> Ooh, good one i like it and right now i have a fire going in the fireplace mm-hmm. and i love having a fire what i don't like is the cold wind of fall you know on a warm day not a problem but like today it was in the 50s and it was windy and i was wearing a hat and a scarf and gloves oh my goodness <laughs> yeah <laughs> so well because the wind is so drying and you know if it was just sunny and still i probably could have gone without the gloves and the hat but um, so it's, it, I, I don't, I don't like feeling cold, 
Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I I love wearing more clothes actually. Well, you can always <laughs> you know, add like, more, right? In the autumn, you can well, always I add like more clothes. I like having a different wardrobe. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I like being able to put on the Patagonia and put on a vest. And, you know, if it was the same weather all the time, I, I, and you always were in the same basic clothes, I would find that boring. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I loved, I love how the trees change and the light changes. I, oh, I think yeah. it's such a beautiful time of year. I got a quick question. This is, this is an adjunct. Tigger and Patty, you both have canines in your life. We don't currently. Everybody knows how mm-hmm. horses get a little silly when the weather cools off. They all want to get a little cold wear under their tail and they run them back and they act silly and do stuff. Do dogs do that too, Tigger? Do your dogs get yes. silly in the winter? Yes, yeah? absolutely. A hundred percent. Yours yes. do too, Patty? Yes. Oh, uh, if, if I could share the video this morning of me uh, in the we have an indoor and you have to um, roll the windows up like their garage windows i don't know how to explain it and i like they i I literally they 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 nearly take me out they do not care that i am in there screaming their name you know (laughs) so yes super silly (laughs) and speaking of super silly yeah Mm. speaking of super silly and full of energy i think it's time for us to head on over and have a chat with Lindsay. Lindsay, who has the most awesome name ever about ever. her ever about her adventures as a top level barrel racer. I'm really happy to have Lindsay Lindsay here from the Washington State Barrel Racing Incentives. Um Lindsay is involved in a sport that a lot of us in the English uh disciplines of dressage, eventing and hunter jumper know very little about, myself included. But um, if you're like me, I've watched it, and I'm just amazed at the speed and the agility of the horses. And it just looks like a lot of fun. So um, I recently did um, an interview with Lindsay, and I thought it would be nice to turn the tables and interview her so that we can learn a little bit more about barrel racing. So my welcome, Lindsay, to Healthy Critters. Thank you. Um, is barrel racing a woman's only sport? Um, so no, it is not, but in the professional rodeo scene, which is what most people know of, of barrel racing, um, it appears to be that way because we have an association called the Women's Professional Rodeo Association, and those are the members you see at rodeos, um, is the women. So it, it kind of to the general public and to the world, it seems to be a women's only sport, um, and on the professional level of pro rodeo it is but there is so much more going on in barrel racing in general and it's for anybody any age any gender um it's a true family sport if you want it to be one so so there is like amateur ranks is it sort of like reigning where you have amateurs and seniors and juniors and yes yes it is um in the again in the pro rodeo ranks you have to be 18 and or older to be in that, um, but in the local levels and the national levels. And we have what we call 4D barrel racing or divisional barrel racing, which actually just came on the scene about 20 years ago. And it really opened it up to all levels, all ages, um, 
you can, and you can win money at it, you know, so that's really just brought a lot of attention and a lot of people into it that otherwise might've gone somewhere else because it used to be that only in the professional rodeo levels, could you win money barrel racing? Uh. Yeah. Like about 20 years ago, they opened it up. So barrel racing is a timed event. It's not judged. It's timed. So it used to be the fast time would win, but with the divisions, what they have done is it's kind of like, I guess you could compare it to a handicap in golfing. Okay. You have your fastest time that sets the pace. That is your 1D. And then you add half a second to that time. And that is the beginning of your 2D division. You add a whole second to that fastest time. And now you have your your third division. And then it can go on to four, five, six divisions, depending on the size of the barrel race. So it's given people of all caliber horses, riders, experience levels, a chance to win some of their money back and, you know, giving them something to compete for. So it's really grown our sport. Our sport has just gone absolutely crazy in the last. Yeah. It's exploded. Yeah. It's exploded. Yeah. What kind of prize money would, you know, if you were an amateur, not a professional, not doing the rodeo circuit, but doing the, the, I guess the regional or national circuit. Um, so what? we have, we have all different sizes of barrel races, which really is really cool. Like you can go to a local one, um, that's 30 minutes down the road from your house and pay a $30 entry fee. And you might win $150, maybe 200. Wow. Yeah. If there's a good turnout. Um, if you go to some bigger stuff, um, you, you know, you're paying close to a hundred dollars in an entry fee, but you could win a $1,200 check. Wow. Um, and then you can go quite a bit bigger if you want to. And uh, you usually have to travel in our area. It's usually a day's travel, but there's some people and organizations that are really trying to get there to be a big pot of money to be won. And um, there you're looking at a couple thousand dollars in checks and, but your entry fees are higher too. So yeah. it, we, we have to pay the money to have more money to win. Um, but it's, you know, that's kind of the way it is. The more you pay, the more, the more you can get out of it. (laughs) Yes. You know, one thing I learned this morning reading about barrel racing, which I did not know is that you can choose to go right or left when you start. Yes. Yes. I didn't know that was very interesting to me. Yeah. Yep. You can. You can pick which barrel you go to first, but in the end, you have to make either one right and two lefts or one left and two rights in a cloverleaf pattern. Um, So, yeah, the basis is there. But, yes, some people go left, some people go right. Some horses prefer to go left and some horses prefer to go right. So, it, uh, like I said, we're not judged. So, it's just however you can get through that pattern and the fastest way you can do it, you're okay. (laughs) (laughs) So, what attracted you to barrel racing? So um, my dad has always grown up riding horses. In fact, when he was young, him and my grandma would go to our local horse sales and they'd buy 10 or 12 horses from the sale. And my dad and my uncle would bring them home and start them in a round pen and get them broke enough to then sell. Um, So my dad, for gosh, as soon as he was old enough to saddle his own horse probably and put it in a round pen, he has been training horses Wow. We have very strong, yeah, he's always grown up up here in the Northwest in um, Washington State. We have a really strong gaming community, which is 
like 12 to 15 different speed events you can do, such as pole bending, flag races, jumping events, um, and all at speed, all timed. But so we have a strong, really strong community of that up here in the Northwest. And that's what he did for fun and um, with these horses. And then when barrel racing came on the scene and he saw, oh, you can make money. You can, you can <laughs> I'm going to try to do that. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, from the very beginning, my dad's been drawn to, to the horse thing and the, the racing and then the barrel racing. And my mom actually did English before she met my dad and he drug her along to the barrel racing. So, so I didn't have a choice, honestly. <laughs> I, I was kind of born on the back of a horse almost in the back of a barrel horse. So it's what I've grown up doing. What do you look for in a barrel racing prospect? Oh my goodness. Honestly, that is a question for my dad. My dad grew up in FFA judging. He learned the livestock judging thing. So he could really pick apart the you know, the physical aspects of a barrel horse. Um, I, and he loves the breeding part of it and everything. And so I grew up just on the horses my dad picked. Um, so I can tell you when I sit on a horse, what I feel and what I like. Um, I honestly, we, we've gotten so spoiled in the fact that now there is a whole bloodline for a barrel horse. Wow. You know what I mean? Like there's stallions and there's this and there's that. And you can, you don't really have to worry so much about if the horse can physically do it because we bred them to be able to. Mm-hmm. There are some that do things one way, you know, that feel better to me. I like a horse that's a bit more under themselves and has some slide to their hind ends. And there are other horses that are, have a stickier build. So when they put their hind end in the ground, it doesn't really slide. <laughs> um but all these horses now these days have the physical potential and um, I get on and I feel, I, I like, I like to feel the mind in a horse. I like to feel the willingness and the, you know, do they sit there and try to figure out what you're teaching them or do they say, Nope, I don't like that. I don't want to do that. I, I deal more with that aspect of a barrel horse. And um, I do have to say though, I like a really kind eye. I like a horse that looks mm-hmm. at you and you can see the wheels turning and you can see interest. They're interested in what you're you're doing. And so I've been spoiled. My parents have always put me on the best they had on the place. And that's really set my path down a road of I, I can feel the horse that wants to do it and the horse mm-hmm. that is trying just as hard as I am. And then I can feel the horse that's uh, this isn't so much fun or, oh, that's a lot of work. I don't really like the work or, you know, all horses are different, just like people or dogs or anything else. But um, so are, uh, is a longer back horse better um, in some ways in terms of speed than a shorter back horse who may be able to get around the barrels faster? I would say it's more, I mean, it is a speed event. It's 100% a speed event. So you have to have the speed. You have to have a, a big stride. I like horses that really reach with their, can really reach with their front end, you know. Um, I don't like the shorter strided horses. Okay. Um, and then I like a downhill build to them a little bit. Meaning, Really? Yeah. That I don't mean they're downhill, but I mean you know, their flank comes up a little bit higher than let's say their armpit and you can just see the slope to their body and that reach with that hind end. Um, I'm actually looking outside at my, 
my weanling out there. <laughs> I just like a long, I like long back legs. Those seem to really be able to reach up under themselves and propel themselves out of a barrel turn. You know, that's what one thing barrel horses have to do. They have to have acceleration because they're running as fast as they can four times and then slowing down to turn as tight as they can. And then they have to explode out of that turn to the next barrel. And um, I personally believe that is where a barrel race is won is that horse that can leave that barrel the fastest is going to most often be the winner. So I like, I like long back legs that can really reach forward and grab and push them out of those turns. Where do you like the neck? Uh, I do not like, I don't do well with a high headed horse. Interesting. um, I would prefer one with a lower, I'm not afraid of a horse with too low of a headset, but I am a, okay. but I do tend to shy away from a horse with a really high headset. It just doesn't work as well for my hands. I think maybe, I don't know, or that's what I grew up on maybe. And that's what I'm comfortable with. So with your family breeding um, barrel racers and training them, what, where do the washouts go? I mean, what would be their, you know, job? Would they end up being rainers or cutters or is that so so specialized now that? It is very specialized. I will say you don't very often see a washout barrel horse go to cutting or raining. Um, they can be good rope horses. They seem oh. to transition well over to that because, again, that's a speed event. They got to yep. you know, they got to chase that cow down and stuff. And and uh, if they can turn a little bit or stop a little bit, they're usually usually okay with a rope horse. Um, but no, they don't transition over to cutting or reining very well. Sometimes you'll see an ex cutting or reining horse transition over to barrels. Wow. Yeah, but it doesn't usually go the other way. But with again, with that 3D, 4D format we have now, if they don't want to be a world beater barrel horse, they can still have a they can still be a barrel horse, but they're going to be a 3D or a 4D barrel horse. Gotcha. There are a lot of people that that love their 3D and 4D barrel horse. No, I'm kind of the minority of barrel racing. Like I always want to go out there and win the 1D. That is always my goal. <laughs> I, um, but you know, not everybody likes that pressure. Yeah. Uh, everything that goes along with trying to have a 1D horse, they like their 3D, 4D. They get to go have fun. They get a little bit of an adrenaline rush. If they get lucky and land where they need to, it's all the better. Um, but so the 3D, 4D thing has really been good to the barrel horse itself because it a horse does not have to be a 1D horse anymore. What's the longevity of the actual competitive longevity? Do you start them at two or three or four? Um, so we have what's called futurities. Um, uh, just like the Rainers. Yep, yep, like the Rainers and all that. We have futurities and our futurities are four-year-old or five-year-old futurities. Um, so a futurity year for our barrel horses starts November 15th. So really? Have, yes. So I have three four-year-olds that are going to go make their first competitive barrel runs a month from now in Oklahoma on November 15th. And that's the start of their career for me. Futurities are a race that is only for horses that fit in that age bracket. 
that have not competed before their fraternity year in barrels. Wow. So none of my three, four-year-olds have gotten to run for points or a time or any money or anything in barrels. We only get to go do practice runs everywhere. And um, that has kept them eligible to compete in futurities, their futurity year. And the futurity world is another aspect of barrel racing that has just exploded. It is huge. There is tons of money to be won. Um, so it is really uh, enticing, I would say, if you enjoy, you know, training horses, and I do. And so it's really enticing. And every horse that comes, whether I breed them or buy them, I always have maturing in mind with them because that's where a horse can really make a lot of money if you don't want a professional rodeo which I don't really want to do right now so um what was your question the, well the, the longevity <laughs> part so okay. the so, futurity start at four so that's four or good five. yep I four hold five. five yes so my their five-year-old year is coming up um so their futurity year is starting this November um, I start them at two. I might, you know, put a saddle on them at a year and a half and round pen them a little bit. And, but I don't, I don't really truly start my horses till they're two. And I, I just kind of fiddle around their two-year-old year, um, teach them the basics, get them loping a little bit, ride them for a month, give them a month off, get back on them. Um, and then when they're three is when I start more of my every day you got to do it like this this is how you turn this is how you do you know i feel at three they're stronger and it's mainly a, a physical thing for me i think mm -hmm. some, some mentally just learn so darn fast and then others are a little more immature but then at four four is kind of when i put the more of the pressure on them um physically and mentally because there is so much money to be won and it's so expensive. Faturities are very expensive. There's a lot of travel. There's a lot of entry fees. Um, so it's very expensive. So I want to give myself the best chance I can. Right. So um, my horses all have at least six months of pretty, you know, at least giving me 75% in that arena effort and speed and everything. Um, and then after that, you know, luck plays into it that you don't of have to stumble or hit a hole just right. Um, their physical build plays into it. Of course, some horses just seem to be able to go forever while others are just playing little things, their whole careers. Um, and then I do the very best I can to keep my horses physically fit. I, um, I take that very seriously. You will never see me with a fat horse at a barrel race. Like you will never see me with an out of shape horse at a barrel race. My horses, I do the very best I can on that side of things because mm -hmm. it is my, besides having them trained to know where to put their feet and having their confidence and everything to try to avoid, you know, dumb mistakes. Um, their physical fitness level is my best weapon against injury. So I take that very seriously, but we have horses that can compete into their twenties. Oh, first. that's great. Yeah. And then, you know, you have others that are just plagued with injuries starting at six or seven and that, or just that just have a bad freak stumble in a barrel run that tears, you know, some cartilage in their knee and they're never quite the same again. It's, Oh, it's one of those things. It is a speed event and you're, they're giving you, they're all out there. So stuff happens. <laughs> what are the, some of the common health issues in barrel horses? Oh. 
So barrel, barrel racing, the thing about barrel racing that I think is one of the most difficult aspects of it is you can go to a local barrel race on a Tuesday night. You can go again on Friday night. You can go to a bigger one Saturday, Sunday. It's a year round sport and um, you can go and go and go if you really want to and can afford to, of course. So it's a lot of hauling and a lot of repetitive running for these Mm -hmm. horses. You know, racehorses usually get a week off in between races. Or more. Yeah. Um, And barrel horses don't often get that. There are some people that just go once a month. Um, But like at my, my level and what I'm trying to get accomplished with these horses, my horses are competing, probably making five or six runs a month in the busy seasons. And that's also... You know, these aren't runs at my house. So I have to load them up, trailer them. They stand tied to the trailer. They stand in a stall. They make their runs. They go back to the trailer, back in a stall. It's a lot of that. Um, So I think there's some stress, quite a bit of stress on these horses, Mm -hmm. um, which can lead to ulcers, you know. Um, So I think our industry, we do have a lot more ulcers than we might realize. And then bleeding is a really common thing in barrel. Oh, the respiratory. Yes. And I know nobody knows what truly causes bleeding, but in my personal experiences with bleeders, and I've had very few, I'm very fortunate, knock on wood, but um, I truly believe it's stress related as well. Mm -hmm. I do. How about the, the physical, like you mentioned knees. Um, yes. You know, we don't see much as much knee knee issues like in dressage horses. It's more hawks. Is it's more hawks? suspensories. Yeah. Um, knees, not so much. Yeah. So we, I mean, every horse is a little bit different. Hawks and stifles are very, very common in yeah. horses. And I think that's the running and turning and kind yep. of it's, there's some slide happening in those turns, but there's a lot of reaching forward with that hind end. There's jamming that hind end in the ground to slow down. Um, slips are pretty common. You know, we try to have the best ground we can, but they're slipping and sliding sometimes, hitting a hard spot, hitting a soft spot. So hawks and stifles, I think, are the most prevalent joints that get abused in barrel racing. Okay. Um, knees do pop up occasionally. Um Coffin joints are getting kind of mm. an all the time thing, which mm-hmm. I've personally never dealt with that um, a lot. But then I also in the last 10 years have gone mainly barefoot with my horses. Um, wow. Yeah. I don't know if that has something to do with it, but um, a lot of people, yeah, a lot of people battle coffin joints in barrel racing. So you have less connective tissue issues like suspensories, tendons? I personally do. I mean, I know other people are kind of plagued with that. What what I have dealt with, I've never had a bowed tendon, knock on wood, thank you, Jesus. Um, yes. and I, <laughs> I'm, so I've never dealt with anything like that. My horses, um, I've had a torn medial collateral ligament in the foot. That was a bummer. Okay. And I've had um, deep digital Mm-hmm. strain mm-hmm. stuff like that and um the deep digital stuff was on my old rodeo horse and 
interestingly enough, it wasn't on the rodeo ground, which has such a bad reputation. It yes. Was on, it was on 4D ground, which is usually has, you know, considered the good ground. But um, he, his build, he pulled very hard with his front end. He was a front end horse. And that was kind of his downfall because when he'd get through that soft stuff down to the hard underneath and pull, the ground would give out on him. Whoa. Yeah, it was that motion. When I felt that happen in a run, I I knew I was going to have a sore horse afterward because something about that, I don't know what it did, but yeah, he was plagued with deep digital flexor strains. He never truly tore them, but he was always straining them, trying to pull himself out of the barrel turns. Wow. Yes. uh, Your horses mostly live out or... My horses personally do. I don't like to lock mine up, um, but I just, it's just what worked out for my place. I was able to build covers in every pasture. Um, when I was younger, our horses were stalled. My parents have stalls, um, but they were, my, we always t- try to leave our horses out majority of the time. And you know, it's a double-edged sword because when we go to these weekend long races, our horses are in stalls. Yeah. So my parents' horses honestly tolerate stalls better when I'm traveling than mine do. Um, so it's kind of a, it's a double-edged sword, but yeah, I like to have mine out. Yes. I love that they're barefoot. Yeah. Yes. Feet are hugely important to me. I had a mare, um, 10 years ago when I was trying to go faturity her and like, I would get her out of the trailer and she'd have a shoe on crooked, you know, just catching herself in the trailer going around a corner or something. She'd reach over and grab her shoe and yank half off and I'm just like Yikes. this sucks <laughs> panicking <laughs> when I get her out of the trailer at a barrel race panicking because I, I would rather her just rip the shoe all the way off but no yep. so halfway and then some hoof is missing the shoe's half off I have to find someone either to put it back on or to take it all the way off and I was like okay I'm going to give this barefoot thing a try and you know there are so many great companies and great hoof boots and stuff now it is doable um if your horse has a decent foot to begin with, I have had a couple that I just couldn't do it. They just, they would have had to wear hoof boots 24 seven because wow. their feet would just kind of break off out in the pasture and then they'd be a little bit tender. And then, you know, can't have any pain if you want your horse to go do the best they can. So it, so it's not for every horse. I will say that, but I always try. I always give it my best effort before I put shoes on. Do you, do you do anything to toughen up the feet? Like the old turpentine? Um, yeah, I mean, I have some, um, you know, paint on stuff and some stuff to put on the bottom of the foot. I can't say I've found something that truly, you know, works like you hope it would. Right. <laughs> I've tried feed through supplements. Um, if you, but I've, I've found genetically, there are just some horses that can mm-hmm. do it. And those are the horses that I tend to be, you know, I have a mare out here. She's my brood mare and she has fantastic feet. And I'm like, heck yes. <laughs> like, let's yeah, start pass that on. Yes, pass that <laughs> on. So, um, and the more you research it, the better it is for them. So I definitely try to keep doing it. Plus, really good farriers are very expensive and very hard to come by. Yeah. So I am religious about, I have found a great guy. He does a great 
job. He's a great farrier, but I just use him to trim my horses and um, he's great. And I know how to rasp and do a little bit of trimming if I need to. Um, but so far, so good. Again, knock on wood. So you, you actually race with the boots on? No, I do not race with boots. Okay. okay. There are some boots that claim you can. I do not, but warming up, crossing, you know, a gravel driveway to get to the arena, um, all that stuff. I gotcha. That. Yep. Well, Lindsay, I, I, I have really appreciated getting a better understanding and appreciation of barrel racing. And I, I hope you'll come back and maybe talk about the futurity after it's over and tell us your experiences and your stories of the futurity and, and, and good luck at the futurity. Oh, thank you so much. We're heading down South and the horses are going to be down there for two and a half months and I'm flying back and forth. What? Yes. Yes. My parents are heading down there with the horses and there's, three or four big futurities right in a row down there. And it, with the price of diesel and stuff right now, it doesn't make sense to haul the horses back and forth. Wow. So they're going to stay down there. I, yeah, this is new for us. This is big deal. So that's why I'm, I'm gung ho about their nutrition right now. I have to make them feel as best as they can and yep. keep their immune systems up as best they can. I can, you know, there's some, you can only do what you can do, but I'm surely trying to check all my boxes. <laughs> yes. You are. <laughs> well, thanks, Lindsay. And we'll catch up to you after the, so, so the horses come back in January or the end of December? No, they're going to be coming back mid-January. Wow. Yeah. Well, we'll have to catch up with you then and find out how they did. I would love that. Hopefully I have good things to report. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and lots of good stories. Oh, always good stories. I sometimes I think we need to name our farm the Chaos Ranch. <laughs> like there's always something going on. <laughs> The podcast world only talking Pomeranian. Hedwig. World's only talking Pomeranian. (laughs) Okay, I I stand stand corrected. My mouthy sisters. Um, We have a question for you. Of course you do. Um, What is your least favorite sound? Oh, Zoom meetings. <laughs> <laughs> Today I barked for 45 minutes during a graduate seminar. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. It's super yours. <laughs> yes, I'm sure your servant really appreciated that. She has COVID, so she can't go to work. Petty. <laughs> <laughs> What? She's taking drugs. She probably won't die. <laughs> yeah, you'd be in a bad place if she did. Okay, so uh, a Zoom call is one of your least favorite sounds. Anything else? Dawn mower. Oh. Vacuum cleaner. Ah. The standards. Um, <laughs> meowing yeah. cat for no reason. 
Oh. I just find irrational cat behavior problematic. Understand. I do too. Is there ever a time a cat is that is meowing is not annoying? Is there appropriate cat meowing? If it wants food and if it gets fed, I will get food. Yes. Perfectly normal. (laughs) Thank you for the clarification. No Mm -hmm. worries. How about the sound of a diesel truck? I don't know about those. How about just the sound of an engine starting up? You know, like a car. You know about my issues going below 30 miles an hour, right? No. If I'm in a car and it goes below 30 miles an hour, I get quite irate. Why not? I'm on traffic. I don't like slowing down. I need to get places. I'm busy. And what do you do when you don't like something and you're sitting in a car? Well, first of all, I don't sit per se. I sort of, I would say, have you ever seen popcorn in a microwave? (laughs) I'm a little like that. I vibrate, I rattle, I go up and down, front seat, back seat, front seat, back seat, front seat, back seat. And then I display my vocal outrage. (laughs) Good to know. So it's a little bit like that Conyer who's bored, eh, Patty? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's a little bit like a a bored Conyer. Well, Hedwig, we so appreciate you sharing with us your likes and dislikes and why they exist. It's been so interesting to hear about that. Would you say hello to your siblings for us this evening? And thanks a lot for your time. I will. Goodbye. Have a nice day. Bye. So we are at the critter of the show portion of our program, and I have chosen, under some nice direction of my friend Tiggy, to do, <laughs> <laughs> and I actually chose to do the Sun Conure, um, which, uh, or it's also Sun Conure or Sun Parakeet, which is also still, it's a small parrot. It is a uh, bird that I've had, shocking to anybody that knows me. Um, this, I don't know if you remember that portion of my life, Tigger. Anyway, this is a medium-sized parrot who, parrot who is vibrant in color. The adult and female are very similar in appearance with a black beak and four uh, and the most gold, beautiful golden yellow plumage and orange flushed underparts, which I thought that was funny. I thought it said underpants, but it's underparts. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to call it Um but they have blue tipped wings and tails. They are just truly a beautiful, beautiful bird. Um, they're very smart and playful and they're very social. Um, in the wild, they are typically in flocks up to about 30 birds. So they really like um, being around other birds and that type of st- stimulation. Um, they are, they make, they make awesome pets. Um, they're easily taught tricks, but they love the mental stimulation. The cool thing about these guys is that they are monogamous partners for breeding life. So that's kind of neat. Um, but they can live up to 30 years, which is quite a big commitment. So when you um, consider doing something like this, you've really got to think a lot of people, this is so interesting. And I'm sure you both know this. Um, they, when people buy parrots, they tend, they have to put them in their will. 
to other people because a lot of times they outlive their parents. Um, anyway, basically, they're very bold in appearance and their personality, but it can be very loud. Um, they do love being outside their cage and they actually do really well with another um, son parakeet or son conure to kind of help keep them entertained and keep them mentally stimulated. Well, they're um, like an Australian shepherd. <laughs> I mean, they, can be, they can be loud. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. They can be yep. loud. Active. Yep. Check. Uh-huh. Do better like with another like Australian the- shepherd. Check. <laughs> <laughs> um, their diet is mainly fruit, seed, berries, blossoms, nuts, and insects. But if, you know, obviously if you're not letting them fly about, um, and they're not in flocks, then you can go to your local pe- uh, pet store and um, or whoever you get your bird from and find the proper prepared feed. Um, this was an interesting fact, um, and I know this is just so interesting. When the sun conure molts, they're very uncomfortable. So molting means it's for people that don't know when they start to shed their feathers, which is interesting. So they can become a little bit more irritated and irritable. Um, so keeping them mentally stimulated by having another bird or talking to them or having them out of their cage apparently is a very wise thing to do. Um, So I mentioned they're loud. (laughs) They are one of the loudest of the conures. There's conures is uh, a small version of a parrot. Um, And they do a lot of screaming. (laughs) Um, It's not that they're, (laughs) they do, they're, they're, they're super loud. Um, it's not that their noise, they make, they're any noisier than like a canary who sounds like lovely, but it's the pitch and the quality of their voice that matters. So it's something to seriously consider if you want to have them as a pet. But going back to when they're properly stimulated, you can teach them lots of wonderful tricks, which will keep their screaming down to, um, um, a minimum. However, it is something that they will do. They they'll do it if you walk by and they want your attention. They're going to scream at you, and it's a lot loud pitch. But the cool thing is, they really can be taught to do fun tricks, and um, actually, they will learn some words, which is pretty neat. You just um, you can obviously YouTube that or Google what you how how to teach them to do it. But it is kind of a fun thing. Um, but last and not least, if you're interested in getting a sun conure and they are truly a beautiful, beautiful parrot. Um, they're obviously you can go to your local pet store, but I um, realize that there are a bunch of different rescue organizations because a lot of people get these guys and then realize that they're louder than they realize they're going to be. Um, and they can't make the time commitment. So I would encourage anybody to look for a local rescue organization because I think you can probably find something there and have tons of information about them. They're a great pet. They're kept nicely in um, in a, a, a cage, you know, a regular bird cage, which you can look up online to see what to get. But if you have two of them together, they really are quite comical and funny. So kind of a neat thing to consider. So I just want to know how loud your Conure was. Very. <laughs> and and honestly, <laughs> And, and the issue for me, um, unfortunately, I had somebody that worked for me and um, her name was Cosmo um, and I loved her very much and she would be really, I could let her out of the, the her birdcage and my dogs were all used to her. So that was not an issue because that's, you know, obviously something you have to consider. Um, and she would come and like go under my shirt and lay under my shirt. She was really sweet. Um, but I had young kids at the time and you at, at, at night when you, 
you know, I'd put my kids to bed and I'd put the, the uh, parrot to bed, which is great. But if when the, the time changes and the sun starts to come up, she was out on my um, actually back porch, sun porch, and she knew it. And so she would start screaming pretty early on. And it was really tough with my, my, my kids were very, very young at that point. So fortunately I was able to place her in a home where I knew where she was going to be forever. Um, but when I say loud, I mean, Tigger, you remember where my house was to the barn? Yeah. 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 I could, I could hear her. In, I could hear her in the indoor. Oh <laughs> <God>. <laughs> Just saying. Yeah. So that was quite a dish. So, um, but again, you know, I think the big, the big, thing is the time that you can spend with them and I think the older they are and the more they're trained like literally the screaming thing can go down but it is kind of funny if you Tigger have you ever noticed the Quaker parrots in Florida yeah they fly over so so they, they have a particular sound and you 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 can you can totally hear but imagine that like kind of in a scream <laughs> oh, no no yeah. just no okay, okay. All right. Jen do you want a Christmas present? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a terrible bird parent. I love parrots and parakeets and budgies and conures. Yeah. And all that. I love them, but I'm uh, I'm not good at taking good care of them. So I will I will admire uh, them in no. other people's homes. And now we're at Critter Nutrition. And the focus today is on Biostar's new product, Hedro Pronto, which is quick gut relief on the go. Um, a little background on how Hedro came to be. In May of 2022, I attended a Concorde de Dressage International, CDI, an open dressage show in Virginia. Back in the barns, two riders talked to me about how stressed their horses were and how they weren't eating well. One horse had very loose stools and the other was quite gassy. I had some of our Zenmax syringes with me, so I gave each rider enough to at least address the stress component. But there wasn't anything currently in my toolbox for addressing short-term GI tract issues. Yet. Later, I met up with Team Biostar rider Jim Coford, who is a huge proponent of our Hedro GI supplement. Jim said his horses were eating well at the show, which he attributed in part to the long-term GI tract support they'd been getting. I thought, what if we could create a new Hedro-based formula designed for the short-term, acute GI upsets that can happen at shows and during travel? Maintaining a healthy GI tract is paramount to sustaining health in horses. Healthy gut, healthy horse. Stress has a profound effect on the microbiome of the gut. Animals, humans, and their gut bacteria have evolved to communicate and regulate one another. Psychological or physical stress can reshape the microbiome's composition, allowing more bacterial metabolites, toxins, and neurohormones to be released. Stress hormones such as cortisol, along with increased inflammation, can disrupt the balance of bacteria in the gut. This imbalance affects behavior, appetite, performance, and mood. The brain and the gut have ongoing communication with one another. An imbalance in the gut affects neurotransmitters, some of which, like serotonin, are produced in the GI tract. 
and microbial imbalance will disrupt serotonin production. Likewise, anxiety and worry can chemically affect the gut bacteria, upsetting the microbial balance in the GI tract. Imbalance within the gut microbial community is referred to as dysbiosis, a state of GI tract disruption that can adversely affect the immune system, increasing the risk of infections and autoimmune disease. Dysbiosis results in part from a decreased diversity of bacterial strains in the gut. Studies in the last decade show that diet, stress, and mood substantially influence which strains of gut microbes thrive and which ones don't. Beneficial gut microbes can be crowded out by non-beneficial or harmful strains that actually secrete toxins into the GI tract. When these bacterial toxins accumulate in the gut, we see the dysbiosis, excess gas, loose stool, watery manure that stress can bring. By the time stress-related gut dysbiosis is evident, probiotics may not be enough to recalibrate diversity. Bacterial toxins are already flooding the intestinal barrier and mucosa. A good fast-acting GI supplement needs to flush out the toxins first and then provide beneficial probiotic cultures to restore the microbial balance. Clay and charcoal are known as as adsorbents. They gather toxins to their surfaces, bind them there, and safely remove them from the digestive tract. Several Biostar formulas use bentonite and kaolin clays, which are good for long-term use, particularly when the goal is filtering out heavy metals such as arsenic, lead, or cadmium. Activated charcoal is a broad-spectrum binder that's best for short-term use or a quick purification. Charcoal can help greatly with bacterial toxin buildup in the gut, but it does interfere with mineral absorption, making it unfit for long-term use. I consider activated charcoal a first aid toxin binder. If I bring my horse in from a day of grazing on lush pasture and I notice a very full belly, or if I bring my horse to a show and the horse goes off its feed, has excess gas, or the manure has changed, I will go with charcoal, not clay. Hedropronto is a new tool in the toolbox. It's a dual acting supplement given in two quick steps. Step one is the mash. This is a supplemental mash consisting of speedy beet and activated charcoal, fennel seeds and rosehips for digestion, pumpkin for prebiotic support, sea salt for hydration, and fermented turmeric to maintain a healthy inflammatory process. This mash should be fed separately from grains, but can be fed with hay. Step two, hedgerow paste a fast-acting oral paste providing the Ayurvedic body system balancer Trifala, the spore probiotic Bacillus subtilis, and four other active probiotic strains of Lactobacillus and Bifidin, plus MOS for the hindgut. Hedro paste includes fennel and peppermint for digestion, reed, sedge, peat to support the tight junctions in the gut, pectin for gastric protection, and sea salt for hydration. Give hedgerow paste at least one hour after hedgerow mash for best results. Hedgerow Pronto is packaged conveniently for keeping it in your tack trunk or feed room for those times you need a fast-acting GI support supplement. Ta-da! Ta-da! So this begs the question, since yeah. I have a horse who is very stressed by travel, he's stressed by a lot of things, but travel is one of them. 
and he gets all those classic symptoms. And typically when he's genuinely stressed and I went, oh, we need to do something about this because he's really got diarrhea and he's kind of buggy eyed and things like that. One of his favorites is to go off his feed. So as yeah. far as this type of product is concerned, would it, is it a problem to just give them the mash when things are not stressful so they can get used to the flavor of it, et cetera, et cetera. So it's not something new and different in their life, or is it not a good idea to give it to them unless they're actually having digestive issues? Well, first of all, it's fed separately right. from feed. Right. 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 It's 12 ounces. It's not a lot. Right. If, if he is that picky, you know, maybe you want to give him um, one or two doses over one or two days or even um, split it up into a couple, give him a handful of it just small, so he becomes yeah. familiar with the food product. Like, oh, that's something I eat at home. It's no big deal. Yes. Because he's, he's a yes, super, no super problem. suspicious eater. Anything. <laughs> oh, my gosh. There's a kernel in there I've not met before. Yeah, he's that guy. <laughs> yeah, you can easily do that. Oh, cool. Because I'm going to order myself a case. Yeah, I'm going to do that. <laughs> yes. I, I love it, this I, because I it addresses both parts, right? Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, this is great. Just make sure any meds, um, particularly uh, – well, you, you don't have that. You don't have mares, but, you know, when you have to give um, things like regimate acetaminophen, well, we don't give that much to horses. Um, Anything and everything. It gets all by itself. It, it, <laughs> it could, the charcoal could make it less active. Yeah. Right. Um, it doesn't seem to be that way with butanbanamine, but n- nevertheless, try to keep meds you know, give them two hours before you mash or two hours afterwards. Just don't give them the same time in the mash. Perfect. So practice a little bit. What right. I, Probably what I would do is just take one package of the mash and divide, divide it, into it into tiny little small, handful yeah. sizes. And just every once in a while, make a batch of it and give it that little handful. Just so he's saying to, when he is stressed and I pour that into his bucket, he doesn't give me the side eye. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Right? (laughs) There you go. Thanks for listening, everyone. And thanks to our sponsor, Biostar US. You can find them online at biostarus.com. Get the Horse Radio Network phone app on iOS or Android by searching for Horse Radio Network in the App Store. It's free and easy to use. For details about today's show, go to HealthyCrittersRadio.com, where you can find links, photos, and more information about our guests. As always, we love your feedback. Please follow us on Facebook under Healthy Critters Radio. Be sure to visit all the great shows on Horse Radio Network at HorseRadioNetwork.com. Network.com. <laughs>